grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, I apologize to fathers. You could not miss preaching about Mother's Day, but I'm skipping Father's Day. I'm, I'm the father. I'm taking prerogative. But I don't know about you. But I imagine that if you are following the news or on social media or have just talked to another person recently, your heart is heavy this morning. You may smile and joke with everyone just like always. You may, but under the surface, you may be feeling very anxious, hurt, depressed from all of the division that is going on in our land. Even if you have absolutely no animosity towards anyone, it is hard to look at the way that we as a nation and a world it's hard to look at the way that we're treating each other. There is a lot of division in our land, and division hurts. We know division personally, and we know it from observation. Wars are fought because opposing ideals cannot stand next to one another. Husbands and wives divorce because of irreconcilable differences. Nations, companies, even churches have the same troubles of division that are reflected at first in our families. This hurts all of us. God did not make us to be divided. He did not mean for us to be isolated. It is not good. That man should be alone. He made us to be one in him. But even God's word separates and divides. For it brings unity. The word separates people who admit that they are sinners and wish to be freed from the condemnation of their sins. The word separates those people from people who deny their sins and claim that they are righteous because they are good people. Jesus puts it this way. God's word separates the sheep from the goats. It separates the harvest from the weeds. In another place, Jesus describes division in this way. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world would be saved through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You might ask, why would people deny Jesus if all he wants to do is save us from and give us eternal life? Why would anyone have a problem with that? Where is the division here? Well, Jesus continues 
This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Or to put it in other words, people do not want to be rescued from the sins that they wish to remain in. Or, out of pride, they do not want anyone to know that they really are sinners in need of grace. The church, on the one hand, the bride of Christ, is the group of people who see any good that is in them coming not from inside themselves, but coming from God's love in Jesus. Outside of Jesus, the, chief, the church sees herself as we all confess. Poor, miserable sinners who deserve present and eternal punishment. The church is filled with people who have been brought out of the darkness into the light. Moreover, it is filled with people who daily confess the darkness that they find first in their own hearts. She is filled with a people who are dependent on the grace and mercy of God that is known only in Jesus. My grandma always used to say, if wishes were horses, the beggars would ride. Well, the church is full of beggars, full of people in need. We are here because we don't have all the answers, and we are here today because we are hurt. We need healing, healing that Jesus alone can give us. That's the church on one side. On the other side, People who do not want to be healed. Jesus is an enemy. With God's word, there is no half-light. There is no gray. There is only light and dark. Don't get me wrong. We are simultaneously saints and sinners. That's true. But what I mean to say is, you are either receiving Jesus' justification and sanctification, or you are rejecting it. And many who reject Jesus, unfortunately, reject the church and her people as well. Please know, this is not our wish. It is not God's wish. The Father, Heavenly Father, desires that all the world, all the world, everybody, would receive the gift of his son. But the fact is, you receive reconciliation and unity that comes from Jesus. In our gospel today, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles on what we would call a vicarage, because they go out for a short time and then they come back. Pastors do this in their training. He sends these first pastors of the church into the world he is sending them out with this proclamation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they are charged to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. 
And in context, they are to do all of this to show that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's what it's all about. Forgiveness, reconciliation, bringing unity from division. And with God's word, they are to bring back, unify what sin separated and destroyed. Jesus' charge to the disciples begins this way, and it may sound counterintuitive to what we are thinking. He says, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Hmm? That seems like a very weird place to begin. We're talking about bringing unity. But is it? What Jesus is saying is, go to the people who know my word first. Proclaim to them repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name. Another way to put it is that before we start judging all of the sins out in the world, we should first take God's word to our own hearts and see the things that we need healing from. See the things that need to be cleaned up in our lives. We should spend our time using the Ten Commandments as a mirror to see our own sin rather than a magnifying glass to judge the sins of those outside of the church. Now you might ask, but didn't Jesus come for the world? Of course he did. Of course. But even when he sent out the twelve after the ascension, he said that his word would begin in Jerusalem and Israel and then Samaria and then to the ends of the world. In other words, repentance and forgiveness in Christ begins at home, in the church. Then when we receive Christ's forgiveness, it brings us joy and it brings us fruit of love and good works which are for our neighbor, not for ourselves. When we receive Jesus' service and love that makes us one in Him, that service and love of His, His spills over in our lives, in our interactions with other people. And hopefully, one day, we, when we confess our sins to others or forgive them for something they've done against us, they will ask us, why are you so different? Why are you so quick to admit when you screw up at work? Why are you so quick to confess when you've done something wrong? They will ask us, why would you not demand our own way on things that God's word speaks nothing about? Then we will tell them, about God's love for us in Christ. But we always start at home with our own sinful hearts, our own situations. And as we abide in Jesus, who makes us one in the Father, He will bear fruit and we will be a witness to God's continuing work of salvation in this divided world.
But Jesus warns that not everyone will appreciate our presence. Even when we are bearing fruit in the name of Jesus, we will not always be welcomed. For when we share our hope with the world, we also share a truth that all the world needs forgiveness. Not just us. And the enemies of God, that is the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, they cannot leave God alone to do his saving work. They must wage war. And you can testify to this even in your own self, in even your own life. Sin or temptation, it will not leave you alone, will it? It will not just let you be. Say, oh, will you do you? No, the temptation goes after you. The enemy wants to do its best to destroy what Jesus means to work even in your own personal life. And what is true for you personally is true for the world as well. As sin cannot leave, sin and temptation in your own sinful nature cannot leave you alone. It cannot leave the church alone. Jesus tells the disciples, brothers will deliver brother over to death and the father his own child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you, he says to his disciples, and you will be hated by for my name's sake, the one who endures to the end will be saved. The enemies of Jesus become enemies of the church. And as they persecute us, we pray what our head prayed. Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. We do not desire revenge for our enemies. For we would have our enemies as brothers, as sisters, if they would receive the work that Jesus Christ earned for them as well. But even though we pray for the, all the world, and especially for those in our own lives who oppose us, and oppose our Lord, it still hurts. It hurts to be divided. I look at the tension in our country right now, and it hurts. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of tension in me over all this, and I'm sure there's a lot of tension in you. What the world needs is love, but you can't legislate it. True love only comes from one source, Mount Calvary. And that love that flowed out of Jesus' wounds is distributed to us through the word and the means of grace, the sacraments. Without the love of Jesus, the one who holds all things together, making peace by the blood of his cross, there can only be division. Because we're all fighting for a slice of the pie. A slice of this perishing world. 
Jesus' love, it brings confession of wrongdoing. And it brings the healing of forgiveness. When I look at the world right now, I do see a lot of finger pointing. A lot. And I even see some confessions. But it is hard to see much forgiveness at all. Things we see are the things that made Jesus weep when he walked the streets of Israel. The chaos not only hurts us and makes us sad, it makes us afraid. For when the devil, the world, and our sinful natures rage, and they rage, it is hard to remember the peace that comes from the one who speaks in a still, small voice. But, in our fears, Jesus reminds us, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. In other words, what they do to you, they're not really doing to you. They're doing to me. And if you read Matthew 25 for further reading, and Jesus says to us, when we endure suffering for his namesake, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Speak God's word without fear, in other words. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your heads are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me, Jesus says, before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. What is Jesus saying here? He tells the disciples in very plain words, things are bad. But, nothing happening is happening outside of your heavenly Father's knowledge or control. And he also tells you, things are bad, but you are loved. Even in these times when you don't feel loved. And Jesus is telling you that he is with you all the way until the last day. But he takes you unto himself in heaven and delivers you from this valley of sorrow. Even in the trying times that the disciples would face, even in their death, they were saved by the one who overcame death by his resurrection on the third day. Even when they were isolated by the devil, the world, and their own sinful nature, 
they were in the hands of the one who gave all that they could have life in his name. So on this day, we have heavy hearts and we have all sorts of thoughts about what is going on in this world. There may not even be complete agreement among us. But before you try to solve the world's problems, recognize that Jesus is here today to deal with your sin. Not the sin out there. He is here today to hear your confession. Not the world's confession. And he is here today to heal you with his forgiveness. He is here today to deal with your hunger, your thirst, to give you bread and wine that is his body and blood so that you will have strength in this divided world. He is here to deal with the division in your own heart and to remind you that in the waters of baptism, he made you his child, inviting you into his family. He is here to fill you with love that the world needs. So that in, or in your day-to-day -day life, you will shine as a light on a hill in a dark world. And as your light shines, you will have no fear of what man can do to you because here you receive everything you need. You are not looking to get approval from your neighbor. You are in this divided world to love your neighbor with the love that Christ pours into your heart so that one day you, the world will hopefully come to realize that they need the unity from the one who holds all things together, making peace by the blood of that precious cross. And now may the peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until he returns for you. Amen. We sing together, and it's very fitting for the end of this sermon. We sing together the offertory uh, found on page at the bottom of page 192 in notice. It's created me a clean heart, O oh God. Let us stand as we sing.